0: everybody
1: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the lights out podcast i'm your host josh as always i'm joined by my producer joel and today we are diving back into the realm of paranormal hauntings and today we're going to be covering a lesser known haunting but nevertheless, just as creepy as the others we've covered here on lights out and that is the great amherst haunting revolves around a woman named esther cox but before we get into today's haunting i wanted to update you on the haunting happening in my home because <laughs> honestly i have a kind of a crazy story so i don't even know if i told you about this yet actually so literally last week um, before we we left for thanksgiving we were, it was like eight o'clock at night we're just hanging out in her bedroom chilling out and all of a sudden All of our alarms, our fire alarms, start going off in our house. Whoa. And of course I start freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? Is our fire going on? So like our alarm system is connected throughout the entire house. And I knew it wasn't like low batteries or anything because these are hardwired into the house for Mm -hmm. one.
0: And if they're low battery, they would chirp. They chirp, exactly.
1: And so they weren't chirping or anything. And we have never had this happen before, period. And all of the alarms in the house start going off. I start freaking out. It's loud as fuck in there. My <laughs> pets are freaking out, and I start running around the house, thinking that there's got to be a fire somewhere. Yeah, because these are fire alarms, and I search the entire house, and there's no fire. You know, there's obviously no smoke, no fire. And we thought maybe candles or you know something like that, but we have that going all the time. So we're so confused by why these alarms are going off. So I go around to all the alarms. I start trying to silence them. I get them all silenced and then everything's fine for like another five, 10 minutes. And all of a sudden they start going off again.
0: Whoa, that's so creepy.
1: And then I'm like, what the hell's going on? So I get up and I start like holding it down and then waiting and they'll silence and then they'll start right back up again. So I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? This is crazy.
0: Interesting.
1: And it's never happened before. And there's really no reason for them to go off at all. Like somebody might say, there's probably something wrong with the wiring or something like that, but it's just, it's never happened before. And then what was crazy, I shit you not, I started just pulling them all out, out of the ceiling because they just wouldn't shut up. So I start pulling them out of the ceiling and I pull the power from them and the battery from them. And the and one of them actually kept going on for, kept ringing
0: wow. with absolutely
1: no power wow. for for like five seconds or so. And then finally it shut up, shut off and then the rest of them shut off. And so I started freaking out because I started thinking that these alarms were my CO2, uh, my carbon monoxide right, detectors. Right. So I started getting freaked out and I started feeling lightheaded. Oh, shit. So we ended up calling the fucking fire department. Oh, my and God. And we had the fire department come out here and we were like, I think there might be carbon monoxide because we we're like, there's, it must be the reason for why these alarms are going off because it wasn't smoke from a fire. And I thought they were dual censored alarms okay and so the fire department came out they went through the whole house we literally got all of our pets which we have 10 of them and put them outside (laughs) in like this cage kennel that we have and it was just it was, and they came and and what was so weird is that they were going off when I called I could not get some of them to go off and then when they got as soon as the fire department got here they all went silent
0: of course
1: and no more sound from them after that
0: that is so bizarre man
1: and since then I've got them re-hooked up and there's no issues with them at all
0: what the fuck
1: i have no fucking clue what happened
0: that's crazy because i mean we all know one of the biggest signs of paranormal activity is once they started interfering with the with the electric stuff and that's never happened before so maybe no. they're trying to make a statement right yeah, now
1: whatever like, it is i mean i'm very convinced that there's some type of spirit either you know i don't think it's necessarily trying to haunt us or anything i think it's just trying to get our attention like mm-hmm. you said because we've also, you know, we went on vacation for Thanksgiving and uh, the girl that stays here is one of our employees. And she, every time she stays here, she said that she hears weird noises. Like she would hear uh, like what sounded like footsteps going up and down our stairs. Oh my God. And I was like, well, it could be my cats. My cats are kind of crazy and they <laughs> run around and yeah. they're, they're heavier than you think. And right. on our, our wood floors, it kind of sounds like they're, so I was like, maybe it's that. But then she was like, there's this weird like humming sound coming from like, right outside the house and she couldn't she like couldn't figure out what it was and just weird shit like that so so yeah the haunting is still happening here jeez Um, and
0: it only seems like things are just escalating and getting more out of hand as time goes on yeah
1: so I'm planning to sage the shit out of the house here soon and just try to do a full cleansing Um, so if any of you have any recommendations (laughs) on other things I should try to do other than just saging uh, everything um, lord let me know pray for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this point yeah <laughs> but anyways so that's what's going on in my life i just had to share that because wow. it's just it was honestly really crazy and i was so confused as to what was going on and there's right. literally no there's no electrical issue that i know of There's no and this is literally the first time this has ever happened and the fact that it just happened so randomly in the way that it did was uh, really weird to me so, absolutely bizarre stuff
0: wow thanks for sharing man yeah that's creepy
1: but uh yeah i hope you all had a great thanksgiving um i definitely did oh yeah how how was your thanksgiving same
0: here super chill ate a lot got a food coma
1: good man good good
0: so can't complain
1: yeah and and obviously after thanksgiving we got black friday and uh, my wellness company harlow wellness is running our black friday sale through the end of december 3rd so this goes up on december 3rd so you still have hours left for the sale. So if you haven't taken advantage of the 30% off site-wide on all products at higherlovewellness.com, go take advantage of it now. There's no code needed, and that does end at midnight for December 4th. But yeah, let's go ahead and get into this episode. This is a really interesting, haunting case, Uh, but this episode is brought to you by Babbel, Simply Safe, and Sundance Now. So our story begins with a woman named Esther Cox who was born in Upper Stewiack, Nova Scotia on March 28, 1860. She was the daughter of farmers and the youngest of six children. Esther's mother died of childbirth complications only three weeks after Esther was born. So her grandmother raised her, and she always talked about how tiny Esther was when she was a baby. Esther's father left when she was only nine months old, and he remarried and moved to Maine with his new wife, leaving the grandmother to raise Esther. And her siblings by herself. She grew up to be an honest, hard working housekeeper, and she stayed close with her family. She had short brown hair and blue eyes, and she was always incredibly short for her age. Sadly, her grandmother died when Esther was a teenager, so she and her siblings moved into their older sister's home in Amherst, Nova Scotia. Amherst was a small town of three thousand people and many were shipbuilders or dock workers since the town was near the Bay of Fundy. There was also a shoe factory in the town where many of the men worked. Many were middle-class working people who lived simple lives, and many lived in two-story Victorian houses and had big families. Esther moved into a home owned by her sister and brother-in-law, named Olive and Daniel Teed. Daniel was a manager at the local shoe factory, and Olive was a housekeeper who raised the children. Esther ended up sharing a room with her older sister Jane where they slept in the first bedroom at the top of the stairs. Her brother, William Cox, lived down the hall, and Daniel's brother, John Teed, also lived there for a short time. Both William and John worked for Daniel at the shoe factory. Olive and Daniel's two sons also lived with them. Willie was five years old and George was one years old. In 1878, when Esther was 18 years old, she lived with seven other people in the Teed household. Their home was a two-story yellow cottage on the corner of Princess and Church Street. And their house was always clean and nicely decorated. Esther made sure to help out with any chores that needed to be done. And together, they were able to maintain a very strong household. In the 1800s, it wasn't odd to have this many people in a home. Many lived with their close family members until they married. It was also during this time that the rise in modern spiritualism swept through North America. And one of the core beliefs is that a person's soul survives after death. And in the afterlife, the soul evolves into higher states of consciousness, and the people who have died can communicate with the living. They called them discarnate humans, which was another name for ghosts or spirits. And while Esther lived with her family in Amherst, she believed that these spirits began haunting her. It all started on August 18th, 1878, when she went on a date with a man named Bob McNeil. And this day was like any other, She ate breakfast with her family, did chores around the house, and played with her nephews. In the afternoon, she waited for Bob to come and pick her up in his horse and buggy. Bob McNeil was a handsome shoemaker who worked with Daniel, William, and John. He was tall and had black hair and a mustache. He had met Esther a while back, and they had been spending a lot of time together. And he was over at the house almost every day. Esther's sister had given her a hard time because Bob was a poor shoemaker She liked him, and he was good at his work, but she thought he would eventually look for a woman with more money than Esther. Some rumors traveled around town saying that Bob didn't have the best reputation with women, and Daniel T. didn't like him either, and said he was unsteady. But Esther wasn't worried about it. She liked Bob, and she spent a lot of time with him, and she hoped to maybe marry him one day. In the afternoon of August 18th, she sat by a window and patiently waited for him to arrive. The day before, Bob had canceled their date last minute and he wanted to make it up to Esther, so he promised to take her on a horse and buggy ride. He rolled up to her house and Esther quickly hopped inside. He took her on a ride through town and once they reached the town's edge, they kept on going. And he took her on a trail through a wooded area. It was a warm summer evening and Esther thought the date was going well. But all of a sudden, something changed the sun disappeared behind overcast skies and as she looked over at bob he had a strange look in his eyes he pulled the buggy over to the side of the road where they were hidden by the trees and he looked back and forth along the trail to make sure that no one was around reaching inside his jacket he pulled out a revolver he cocked the gun and aimed it at esther's chest He told her to get out of the buggy and follow her into the woods, and he threatened to shoot if she didn't listen. Esther thought it was just a prank, and she began laughing at Bob and told him to stop acting crazy. But the more she looked into his eyes, she could tell that he was dead serious. And what happened next is unknown. Some sources say that Bob McNeil sexually assaulted Esther. Others say that he didn't have the chance He heard another horse and buggy coming up the road, so he holstered his weapon and got back in the wagon. But whatever happened to Esther out in the woods changed her dramatically. On their way home, it began to rain. Bob was so angry and embarrassed that he didn't even bother to pull up the hood that was attached to the buggy. So Esther was soaking wet by the time she got home. She ran from the buggy and burst through the front door and Bob fled down the street in his horse and buggy, never to be seen again by Esther. Olive was shocked to see her sister so sad after a date with Bob, but before she could ask what happened, Esther ran up the stairs to her room and slammed the door shut. Olive assumed that Bob and Esther got into an argument. She didn't want to pry into her sister's personal life, so she figured it was just a lover's quarrel. On the other hand, her sister Jane knew something was wrong she shared a bedroom with Esther and as soon as they went to bed that night she could hear Esther sobbing they had separate beds in the room that were a few feet away from each other and although Esther tried to cry quietly Jane could still hear her when she asked what was wrong Esther wouldn't say anything and for the next four nights Esther cried herself to sleep and she wouldn't talk to anyone about what had happened with Bob the whole family knew that something must have went on. And he used to be at the house almost every day, and now he wasn't. Because ever since their date on August 18th, Bob just stopped coming around. As the weeks went by, Esther became quiet and gloomy. Any bit of joy inside her had vanished. The rest of the family didn't know what to do. So they just hoped that Esther would eventually get over it. But before it got better, things got much worse. On the night of September 4th, 1878, Esther and Jane were laying in their beds trying to fall asleep. Esther heard a scratching noise coming from under her bed, and she looked over at Jane and asked her if she had heard it too. Jane woke up and looked over at her, listening carefully. The edges of Esther's sheets touched the floor, and she thought she could feel something tugging at them or brushing up against them. She told Jane she thought it was a mouse, but she didn't know for sure. And Jane said that it wasn't going to hurt them if it was just a mouse. So they both ignored the scratching noise until it went away. But on the following night, they heard the same scratching noise again. Esther said she thought it was coming from her quilt making box underneath her bed. Esther told Jane they should try and kill the mouse, and Jane agreed. The noise was becoming a problem, and they were having trouble sleeping. So Esther crawled out from under the sheets and took the box from underneath the bed, and she brought it to the center of their bedroom and set it down. The scratching noise continued, though, and allegedly, the box rose a foot off the floor, fell back down and tipped over, all by itself. Esther and Jane began screaming at the top of their lungs. Daniel rushed into the room thinking there was a killer in the house, but all he saw was his two sister-in-laws screaming, a sewing box. When they tried to explain to him what had happened, he began laughing. He thought they were playing a joke on him, so he kicked the box back under the bed and told them to go back to sleep. The next day after dinner, Esther said she felt sick and needed to go to bed early. And when Jane went to check on her, Esther had bundled herself up in bed. And she told Jane that she thought she was dying. When she approached Esther, she could see that she was shaking. Her hand stuck out from underneath the covers and grabbed onto a chair that was beside her bed. Jane could see Esther's nails were digging into the chair's wooden seat. Jane called for the rest of her family, and they each came in to check on Esther. Esther said she felt like she was going to explode. Her whole body began swelling. Her eyes bulged, and her skin turned red. And it was actually hot to the touch. As they stood over Esther trying to figure out what was wrong, a massive boom rang out from the roof. It was so loud they thought that lightning had struck the house. Olive went to check on her two sons, but they were fast asleep. And when she looked outside, there was no stormy weather. In fact, the weather was calm and there was absolutely no sign of lightning. When she returned to Esther's room, three more knocking sounds came from underneath Esther's bed. Soon the noise stopped, and luckily Esther's swelling went down, and she eventually fell asleep. The next morning, Esther came down for breakfast, and they asked her how she was doing, and she said that she had no appetite, but besides that, she was fine. Nothing else was out of the ordinary, and for four nights, the teed household was back to normal but not for long. Again, Esther fell ill and went to lie down in bed. And when Jane came to check on her, Esther had the same symptoms as the previous night. Her whole body swelled up and when she touched her forehead, she was burning up. As Jane stood over her sister, the bed covers flew off of Esther and shot into the corner of the room. Jane was so shocked by this that she screamed and fainted, falling to the floor. When the rest of the family ran into the room, they saw Jane motionless on the floor, and Esther was a bright red, lying on her bed with no covers. And for a moment, Olive thought that Jane was dead, but when they checked on her, she had only fainted. Olive went and grabbed the bedsheets that were balled up in the corner of the room and returned them to Esther's bed. But once again, the bedsheets seemed to fly off of the bed by themselves. Olive returned the sheets to the bed again, but this time, Olive, Daniel, William, and John sat down on the corners of the bed sheets so they wouldn't move. But as they held down the sheets, Esther's pillow shot out from under her head and hit John in the face, and he ran out of the room in horror. Esther screamed, saying that it felt like she had electrical currents running through her body. Not knowing what to do, William scrambled to the kitchen where he got a bucket of water, the banging noises under the bed started up again, and they were so loud, supposedly they sounded like gunshots. By the time William came back to the room with a bucket of cold water, the banging had stopped, and Esther's swelling went down. Completely exhausted at this point, she fell asleep. The next day, the family knew they had to do something, so Daniel called for the family doctor, Dr. Carwright. He came over immediately and watched over Esther, and he diagnosed her with hysteria or some type of shock, and he promised the family he would watch over her until 1am that night. After giving her a dose of morphine, he sat in the bedroom chair and watched over her. According to the doctor, while she was passed out in the bed, he saw the pillow under her head moving, and a loud knocking sound came from underneath the bed. As the doctor wandered around the room to inspect the noise, a sound followed him underneath the floorboards. Then the pounding moved towards the ceiling. The doctor went outside to check on the house. And again, the weather was calm and the neighborhood was quiet, except for the pounding noises. It sounded like someone was slamming the roof with a sledgehammer. But of course the doctor couldn't see anything happening on the roof. The banging was so loud it echoed through the entire neighborhood. The neighbors gossiped about the Teed household. They could all hear the loud banging noises, and many of them also saw the family doctor making a visit to the house. So rumors quickly spread around Amherst. When the doctor returned to Esther, she was still in bed, heavily sedated by the drugs. He then heard a scratching noise coming from the wall, and when he looked near the head of Esther's bed, there was a message scratched into the wall. It said, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. This message was written in letters about a foot tall. And as the doctor approached the wall and looked at the message, a chunk of plaster tore off the wall and shot to the bedroom floor. Then the banging sounds continued. Each bang increased in energy and it soon shook the entire room. This continued for about two hours, but eventually stopped. And the doctor went home for the night but the next morning the doctor called the teed house and he asked how esther was doing and to his surprise she was out of bed and doing well she had gotten dressed and was helping olive with the dishes the doctor visited the teed house again to check on her and after the horrors of the night before he couldn't believe she had recovered that quickly when dr carright arrived at the house esther ran up from the small cellar that was below the house She was convinced someone was down there throwing things at her, and she brought the doctor back down to the cellar with her, and they both looked around. They didn't see anything, but apparently, a bunch of potatoes came flying towards them. As soon as this happened, they ran back upstairs, and again the doctor gave Esther sedatives to help her relax. The pounding noises began again, but Esther seemed to enjoy them now. A few weeks passed and not much happened, but Dr. Carrick kept visiting the house to make sure Esther was okay. And one night, as she lay in bed, Esther began convulsing. Her body stiffened, and the doctor wasn't sure what was happening. It was almost like she was having a seizure, and at one point she entered a trance-like state and began speaking between the convulsions. As she spoke, she finally revealed what happened between her and and bob mcneil and some of her family members were shocked but others already suspected something was very wrong with bob as the pounding continued jane got an idea she wanted to see if they could communicate with the ghost daniel then yelled out a question into the room and he asked the ghost how many people were present five knocks were heard which was the correct answer olive Daniel, Dr. Carrey, Jane, and Esther. All five people were in the room when this happened, and they established a way to communicate with the ghost. One knock meant no, two knocks meant doubtful, and three knocks meant yes. This was how they planned on talking with the ghost from here on out. After this, the doctor called it a night, and he couldn't understand exactly what was going on, but he knew Esther was at the center of it all. No one else experienced the paranormal activity without Esther present. So, whether it was actually ghosts or some sort of trickery, he knew. Regardless, it had to do with Esther. By now, most of Amherst had heard about Esther Cox and the ghost in the teed house. The banging on the roof could be heard throughout the neighborhood, and the gossip had spread throughout the town. Some feared that it was the work of the devil, and they even brought it up with their ministers at church because they were scared something evil was in town. Baptist minister Dr. Edwin Clay visited the teed house himself. And after talking with Esther and witnessing the strange events, Edwin believed that Esther's assault by Bob McNeil had started everything. He also believed the haunting was real and he began talking about it in his church sermons. Which this sparked a debate between the skeptics and believers in town. The skeptics thought that Esther was using trickery and they believed she was planting ideas in people's heads and convincing them that a ghost was haunting her. But Minister Clay defended Esther. He even gave lectures around town and talked about what he had seen in the teat house. Soon crowds began gathering outside of the home in hopes of seeing some ghost activity. And it wasn't long before the whole town had become completely obsessed with Esther Cox. According to the family, items would disappear from one room and reappear in another. Unexplained fires started throughout the house and lit matches would appear out of thin air. Knives and forks flew through the air and stuck into plaster walls. Furniture would flip over or slam into the walls. Sewing pins would fly from boxes and stab Esther in the face. Esther's family members would hear slapping noises, and when they looked over at Esther, they could see her covered in bruises and welts. With all these things happening, people believed that a poltergeist haunted Esther it was a type of ghost that could make loud noises move objects and destroy things but still many people thought that esther had staged everything and it went on for months in december of 1878 esther was diagnosed with diphtheria a bacterial infection of the nose and throat and while she was sick in bed the ghost activity seemed to stop she stayed in bed for two weeks and then lived with a family member in Sackville, New Brunswick for a short time. After she recovered, she moved back to Amherst in January 1879. They put Esther and Jane in a different room this time, hoping it might help the ghost problems. But nope. The hauntings began again, almost immediately. One day, Esther and Olive were at home, and the two young boys were playing outside. When all of a sudden, smoke started pouring from the cellar, Another fire had started in the house. Esther and Olive grabbed buckets of water from the kitchen and tried to put out the flames. But it was too much. Not knowing what to do, they ran into the street and screamed for help. A stranger that had been walking by ran over to help them. He took off his jacket and bolted into the home. He grabbed a floor mat from the dining room floor and rushed into the cellar to smother the flames. After he put out the fire, he brushed himself off and left without saying a word. Nobody knew who this man was, and they never saw him again. The neighbors came out to see what had happened, and many of them gossiped and thought it was the ghost who had started the fire. But when the fire marshal showed up, he thought Esther had started the fire. He had heard about Esther's ghost problem before, but he wasn't convinced, and he blamed her for the fire starting. Either way, the whole neighborhood was concerned, Many of the houses on the block were made of wood and sat very close to each other. If one caught fire, the whole block could go up in flames. One of the angry neighbors came out and suggested that Esther should be whipped. He thought if she got a good beating, that would make the nonsense stop. A few days later, a ghost appeared in the parlor room. It stood in front of Esther, and she described the apparition as a gray figure that had glaring eyes. And his name was Bob Nickel and he was a shoemaker. He told Esther she had to leave the house, or else he would burn it to the ground. And when she told her family about what the ghost had said, Daniel couldn't take it anymore. Esther was his family, and he wanted to help her, but not if his house was going to burn down because of it. He had a family to protect, and the neighbors were already upset with him about the previous fires. It had been four months since the hauntings had begun, and Daniel had had enough. So he reached out to his friend, John White. He knew John had felt sorry for Esther and wanted to help. So Daniel got on his winter coat and walked across town through the snow and asked John if he would take her in. And after some convincing, John talked with his wife. And they both agreed to let Esther stay. More on the haunting after this quick sponsor break. So Esther has just been taken in by the White family. And for the first two weeks of living with them, Esther didn't have any issues. No objects moved mysteriously across the room and no fires broke out. And the family welcomed her in as one of their own. And they really made her feel like their own daughter. But of course, the peaceful moments wouldn't last long. During her third week in the house, Esther was doing some cleaning. And as she washed one of the floorboards, the scrub brush in her hand suddenly vanished a ghostly voice called out to her and told her it had taken the brush esther screamed out loud and mrs white and her daughter mary came running after she told them what had happened they started looking for the brush but they couldn't find it anywhere just as they were about to give up the brush dropped from the ceiling and knocked esther on the head after this esther began contacting the ghost again she would ask it questions and it responded with knocks. At one point, she got the ghost to accurately guess how much money people had hidden in their pockets. The interactions with the ghost were mostly harmless, but they soon escalated. By the sixth week of her stay in the White family's house, the fires began blazing around the house in hidden spots. John made Esther work with him at the saloon, he managed. He thought if he could keep an eye on her, she wouldn't get into any more trouble. But of course, the problems didn't stop there. As she worked in the saloon kitchen, the hauntings followed her there. In the kitchen, there was a big stove, and John had used an old wooden axe handle to keep the stove door shut. And one day, the stove door was yanked open, and the wooden axe handle was scattered in pieces across the floor. And like always, Esther just blamed the ghost. Some of the customers at the saloon suggested that Esther should walk on glass to stop the nonsense and Esther even agreed with them. So they put shards of glass in her shoes, but objects continued to fly around the saloon. After this, Esther got severe headaches and nosebleeds, and the glass in her shoes didn't seem to be helping. On another day, John's son was in the saloon with Esther. He was sitting around playing with a pocket knife, and allegedly the blade shot out from his hand, flew across the room, and stabbed Esther in the back. On another occasion... A 50-pound box moved by itself across the saloon. Several people even said they witnessed it. They said it couldn't have been Esther who moved it, because she was so small. Some of the customers even experimented with the ghost. One of them placed four large iron spikes in Esther's lap as she sat in the middle of the saloon. And they thought the spikes would fly off into the wall, but instead they began heating up. And some... Other witnesses even claimed that the spikes started glowing red with heat. And as Esther screamed, as the spikes heated up, the spikes then shot 20 feet across the room. And after people heard that Esther Cox was working in the bar, the saloon filled with visitors. They wanted to get a nice drink and some food, but they also wanted to witness the poltergeist at work. So after a few months of living with John White and his family, John was eventually fed up with Esther. So she went to live with the Beck family in St. John, New Brunswick. And at the end of March 1879, she stayed with Captain James Beck and his wife, and she lived there for three weeks. And while she stayed there with them, several men came to study Esther and her experiences. They were described as science-minded men. Some were doctors and lawyers. And supposedly there were skeptics that wanted to witness the ghost activity for themselves. All of the men had witnessed the knocking communication that Esther used with the ghost. And apparently several different ghosts communicated to her that were present with her in the room. But just like before, Bob Nichol was the main ghost and she said there were others. And they used a talking board to communicate with the ghosts. It was much like the famous Ouija board but that wouldn't be invented for a few more years. So they used the talking board to pinpoint letters of the alphabet, and when they pointed to the correct letter, the ghost would knock, and they used this method to spell out words and sentences. One of the ghosts that came across claimed to be Maggie Fisher, the name of an old schoolmate of Esther's, but it's unknown if Maggie had died by this time. Another was Peter Cox, who Esther claimed was an old relative of hers. And she said that Peter is one of the good ghosts, and he tried to protect her from Bob and Mackie. The men were completely shocked by how Esther casually talked with the ghost. And by the end of their visit, they were convinced that there really were ghosts haunting her. And after her brief stay in St. John, she went back to Amherst. But instead of going back to the Teed family household, she was invited to stay with the Van Amberg family, who had a small house three miles outside of town. It was an isolated home in the middle of the woods and the ghost didn't seem to bother her there. Since she finally found some peace and quiet she stayed eight weeks with the Van Ambergs and all of them thought that maybe the hauntings had ended so she returned to live with Daniel and Olive Teed. She also went back to work at John White's saloon. This way someone could keep an eye on her at all times just in case. But sure enough the hauntings returned in full force. During the summer, a touring actor named Walter Hubble traveled to Amherst hoping to find Esther Cox. He had recently left his theater group, the Dramatic Company, in Newfoundland, and he heard about the poltergeist problems in Amherst. He packed his notebooks, ink, and quill pen and set out to find Esther. According to him, his goal is to expose her lies and document what happened. He claimed that he had a lot of experience and stage trickery so he'd be able to point out how Esther was able to fool everyone around her. On June 21st, 1897, Walter visited the teat house and knocked on the door. Esther and Oliver were home and they answered the door. He introduced himself and they welcomed him inside. After walking into the house, he set his umbrella in the corner of the dining room. And after talking to Olive and Esther for only five minutes, He said that the umbrella shot out from the corner and darted over his head and landed on the other side of the room. His satchel then flew in another direction. A carving knife flew over Esther's head, and one of the dining room chairs moved on its own. Shocked at what he had just seen, he left the house and took a stroll around the neighborhood to gather his thoughts. After he returned, he walked into the parlor room where seven chairs were knocked over on their sides. Esther then explained to Walter how she communicated with the ghosts. She explained the knocking system they set up, and Walter wanted to see it in action. After they asked a series of questions, they learned a few new things from the ghosts. The first was that Bob Nichol and a few other ghosts had followed Esther back to the Teed family's house. Their names were Maggie Fisher, Peter Cox, Mary Fisher, Jane Nichol, and Eliza McNeil. Bob was the main ghost that tormented her, and all the others stalked Esther and moved objects. But Peter Cox was the only one that tried to protect her. The other thing they communicated to Esther and Walter was that they didn't like Walter being there. But Esther said he would get used to it eventually. And after a long day, Walter decided to take an afternoon nap on the living room couch. And as he laid down, he kept one eye open and watched Esther from across the room. And as she sat down to read the newspaper, a glass paperweight flew across the room towards Walter and nearly hit him in the head but missed by only inches and bounced off of the armrest. Many more things like this happened while Walter stayed at the house. The ghost removed people's shoes, stole sugar bowl lids, threw kitchen knives, and moved large furniture around the room. On his second day at the Teed home, the ghost stuck pins in Esther's skin. They pricked her and let small beads of blood flow across her body, and Walter claimed that he removed about 30 of them throughout the day. He also taunted the ghosts and told them to make matches appear, and within seconds, dozens of lit matches fell from the ceiling. On another day, everyone in the house could hear a trumpet playing, but they had no idea where it was coming from. It sounded like it was coming from inside the home, but obviously they couldn't find anybody playing the trumpet. Eventually, the playing stopped, and Walter claimed that Bob Nichol had tossed the trumpet to the ground in front of him. He then kept the trumpet, and he thought he might put it in a museum one day. All in all, Walter ended up staying in the teed house for six weeks, and during his visit, he recorded everything that happened. He also wrote down Esther's story, starting with the assault by Bob McNeil the year before. He eventually planned on publishing the story as a novel when he was done with it, and as he watched Esther for the six weeks, there was rarely a day that something didn't happen. Something was always thrown, moved, or set on fire. Some of the events were harmless, but others were more intense as time went on. And one day, Esther was coming back from church where she had prayed with the priest. According to Walter, as she walked back towards the house, a splintered bone shot up from the ground and cut Esther on the head. And when she got inside the house, a fork flew from the kitchen and stabbed her right in the face. She claimed again that it was Bob Nichol and Maggie Fisher trying to hurt her. On other nights, she would convulse and swell up like she used to. Her skin would inflate like a balloon. Sometimes it would get so bad, she wished she would just die. And when she wasn't being attacked or swelling up, she would enter trance states, where she would just communicate with these spirits. Walter called this mesmeric sleep. During her trances, she claimed she talked with her dead mother, and even visited heaven. At one point, Walter got to ask the ghosts some questions. He asked them if they all lived on earth at one point, and if they currently were in hell, and if they had ever met the devil. And the response was three knocks to each of his questions, meaning yes, they had. Supposedly, one of the ghosts became so angry by his questions that they threw Walter's ink bottle to the floor, and it spilled all over the rug. And by the end of Walter's stay, it was clear that things weren't getting better. More fire started in the house, and the walls and furniture were constantly being destroyed. Her family said that they loved her, but at this point, it was unsafe for her to live with them anymore. Daniel and his family feared for their safety, so he sent Esther back to the house in the woods with the Van Ambergs. She had found a bit of peace at the Van Ambergs a few months before, And they hoped it would work again and sure enough when she left the teed house things quieted down on august 1st 1879 walter visited esther at the van ambergs one last time she sat quietly in a chair and sewed quilts and when she took breaks she went out and played with the van Amberg children she looked like she was finally at peace and she said that the poltergeist activity had stopped completely she told walter that she read the bible every day and she was really happy living in the woods. And this is a point where Walter's book ends, and he says his goodbyes to Esther. He thinks that she finally found an end to her problems, but what he doesn't know is that Esther's story kept on going. By November 1879, she had left the Van Amberg's house and lived with a family by the name of Davidson. They had hired her as a housekeeper, and she lived in their home. But soon after she left the Van Amberg's house, they noticed that some of their clothes were missing. At first they accused Esther of stealing, but before they could prove anything, the Davidson's barn mysteriously burned to the ground, and Esther was the last person seen near the barn, and she was actually later convicted of arson. She blamed the fire on Bob Nickel, but they didn't believe her, and they sentenced her to four months in jail, but because of public outcry, she only served one month. By the end of 1879, Walter published his book, The Haunted House, A True Ghost Story, and it immediately became a popular hit and made him a lot of money. After he published the book, Walter, Esther, and John White scheduled a lecture tour. They promoted the book and talked about the poltergeist, but their lectures quickly fell apart because hecklers showed up to the lectures and screamed at them. Many accused them of making the story up. So after only two lectures, they canceled the tour. After this happened, not much is known about Esther after this point. But she did move across the country and eventually got married. One of the biggest critics of Esther's story, Dr. Walter F. Prince, took a hard look at the case in 1919. And in the end, he believed everything was just a bunch of trickery by Esther Cox. And he blamed Walter for exaggerating everything that had happened. Dr. Prince thought that Esther had become disturbed after the assault by Bob McNeil, so she began acting out. He thought that she was in a disassociative state and that her actions were a cry for help. And it was Walter who took advantage of this. Dr. Prince pointed out that even after five minutes of Walter entering the house, crazy paranormal events began happening. Objects were instantly flying around the room, which was convenient for a story and he accused Walter of wanting to make money off of Esther. There is also no mention of Esther ever being searched for matches or other objects, and he rarely mentioned where exactly Esther was in the rooms when the things were happening. So it's possible that she could have easily been the one throwing things around when others weren't looking. Dr. Prince also pointed out that the names of the ghosts were also the names of people Esther knew. Other critics pointed towards interviews with Olive Teed, because her stories never added up and they were always inconsistent. One time she even claimed that she never saw any ghost activity at all when Esther lived in her house. And despite the criticism Walter defended his book to the end, he even released a new edition that added a testament page. He had 16 witnesses sign the book stating that the events in the book were true. But even then many claimed that the witnesses only say they believe what happened was true not that they actually witnessed the events themselves. Regardless, Esther Cox's story is still one of the most well-documented poltergeist cases in history, but mostly because of Walter's book. And to this day, many people still argue about whether her ghosts were real, or if it was all made up by Esther as a cry for help. So with that being said, was Esther's poltergeist
0: really just a psychological reaction to her assault by bob mcneil well i think it could be something more than that you know because all this started happening to esther after she went on that date with bob mcneil they went out to the forest it wasn't exactly clear what they were doing out there uh, i mean i think maybe bob if, if he he probably did some type of ritual or some type of uh demonic thing that could have caused her to be possessed or targeted by some type of evil entities because you know she never really saw bob again after that she goes home and she's in complete distraught like crying and then that's all just when everything turned to shit you know yeah that's a good point
1: i think i think that's definitely a possibility i think i think what most people go to is the fact that he likely sexually assaulted her and that could have could have severely damaged her mentally you know ptsd or you know other other things could be going on there or it was something like you said it could have been something that just really freaked her out to even a point of thinking she was possessed or thinking that he had maybe cast a spell on her or something like that i mean i think that's definitely a possibility
0: because esther she she really didn't have much to gain from this other than she was pushing her family away and i don't think she was and for, like, the money doing all yeah, this. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't think so either. Doesn't seem like that was the case. Um, and then as far as, like, how many witnesses, there's still a good amount of people who claim that they saw, you know, objects moving, flying, you know, knocking. I mean, all sorts of different paranormal type of events. Yeah. So it's it's hard to question, you know, was what they saw or heard actually true or not, or if they were in some type of plan with yeah. Esther.
1: No, that's, that's, that's a great point. I mean, what do you think about the fact that all of the ghosts that she was communicating with were named after people that she knew? Though that to mm. me is a little odd. It's kind of that, like if it was something really paranormal, or you know, in touch with some other entity, yeah. being demon, whatever you want to call it. You know, why was she getting these names, or was it just her trying to make sense of things mm. and just? Because again, she was the way she was communicating was through a knocking system. So, mm-hmm. other than using the talking board that they use, which we don't know exactly even how that worked or what that looked like, you know, the names that she was getting, you know, how did that? Was that actually real? I think I think this is a tough case because I yeah. think there could be pieces that could have been paranormal and real, and then there's other pieces that are just attributed to Esther, pro, you know, processing whatever mm-hmm. this event that happened with Bob was yeah, and the two together are kind of creating this perfect storm of things that are happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is so that
1: it looks sus to the average person Mm -hmm. because they're like, Oh, this, this woman's just clearly crazy. She's just making this shit up. But you know, if in fact all these witnesses are telling the truth as far as things flying around boxes, moving on their own knocking and all of these, I mean, it seems like a ton of documented paranormal sounds that as far as we know weren't being made by anybody in the house the trumpet playing like what where'd that come from like there's no trumpet in the house again you can't ver we can't verify this because there's not any physical evidence (laughs) of this but if you if you take their word for it it does raise a question of well what was causing these weird sounds what was moving these objects Mm -hmm. if it wasn't Esther or you know family members that she was living with. I thought it was also weird that when she went to go live with the van Ambergs that things seemed to settle down. Yeah. But then when she went back to the teed house, everything went crazy. And then some of the other family homes, things were kind of wild. And it's kind of weird that this one home she lives in is completely fine.
0: Right. I mean, this one's definitely a head scratcher. (laughs) That's a good way to put it.
1: It's a head scratcher for sure. I mean, it's, it's so old. It's like, you know, who really knows. right? right. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I think, I think what was also going on was the fact that in the 1800s, there was a sort of rise in spiritualism. And I mean, people were, you know, starting to, to dabble into other, other forms of spiritualism. And, you know, that fused with, you know, the traditional beliefs of, you know, the the christian faith and yeah. you know going back to the puritans and all of that i think it's i think it's very possible that you know you kind of mix the two together and you, and again you kind of get this perfect concoction mm-hmm. of of poltergeist mixed with you know weird random events that right, are happening right. and it's just it's all kind of worked together to create this sort of perfect situation i, th- I think there's i think as far as the physical traits go you know her swelling up the convulsing and things like that i think that could have been attributed to mental illness that could have been attributed to some undiagnosed condition that she had because sure. i mean mental health back then was you know they didn't understand it at all no. so it it could be that she just she had a severe case of mental illness and therefore was experiencing all these things and seeing all these things that weren't really happening but again we have multiple families multiple witnesses that did see these things Mm -hmm. including walter who went on to write the book and obviously made money off this book so a lot of people will call bullshit on walter that he just kind of sees the opportunity you know there's here's this woman that's claiming she's speaking to ghosts and everything so i'm going to come in here and see what it's all about and you know made a book off of it and here we are right so
0: kind of similar to the warrens you know what
1: the situations they've been put in yeah yeah it's it's i mean these are tough a lot of these hauntings and seemingly almost possession cases are difficult because Mm -hmm. you just it's really i mean there's no way to know exactly what it is you you can't just pinpoint what it is yeah but if you are a believer of the paranormal you definitely have to wonder if there are elements of the story that are indeed true and maybe she was speaking to these ghosts that were just sort of telling her what she wanted to hear to sort of mask what they really were. Mm -hmm. And maybe they were, these entities were having some sort of negative effect on her. And I think it's a great point that, but what did Bob do? Yeah, And that's the real truth. And, and that we need to know Mm -hmm. is what did Bob do out there in the woods? What happened that day? And, you know, was it something that he did physically to her or was it something that she witnessed Mm -hmm.
0: that sort of, you know, right caused so, her to this whole psychological ordeal mm-hmm, to become yeah.
1: possessed so it, it, yeah. it is interesting that after that though he just sort of disappeared as well right out of her life so something sketch definitely happened but yeah for sure we may never know what happened to esther cox but we definitely want to know what you think happened to esther cox what do you think happened to her with bob in the woods do you think that this haunting was real do you think parts of it are real let us know in the comments. Let us know on social media. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at Lights Out Cast. But that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you joining us for another haunting episode. And we'll be back next week with more Lights Out content. But until next time, Lights Out, everybody.